Enterprise Influencers, Perspectives from Technology Leaders. Hello and welcome to Enterprise Influencers, the podcast that goes through various innovations and speaks to enterprise leaders and what their thoughts are around this kind of stuff. Patrick, who do we have today? Hey, Giles. Good to be back. It's been a little bit of a long time since our last Mm -hmm. episode, but that's just because we've been having so much fun in the spring and getting into the summertime here. Uh, But today, Giles, we're going to be talking about the newest innovations in AI with Microsoft Copilot. And to help us along with that conversation, we've got my good friend and Microsoft MVP enterprise architect for Ernst & Young, John Moore. John is a MVP in the Teams, Yammer, virtual events, and metaverse space. He is very involved in leading efforts with Copilot and AI, and very happy to have you on the show, John. Yeah, thanks, guys. It's it's great to be here. I appreciate the opportunity to, to get to talk about any cool stuff. That's one of my favorite things is to talk about emerging technology and things that excite me, and there's certainly been a ton of that over the past few months. It's like a deluge of announcements. It's been really hard to keep up, and we're all excited together about it, but it's a good chance to hopefully it slows down here as we get into the <laughs> summer and we can take stock of what does this mean for us and how can we orient ourselves to prepare. But I don't know. I've been saying that it's going to slow down for a couple months now and it hasn't yet. Yeah. I don't know that you can say slow down when it comes to AI at the moment, can you? I don't think <laughs> right? so. Yeah. I think our, our newest joke is that last week was an important year in the life of AI, right? It's, That's right. It's, yes. Things seem to be moving so fast. And I think, and I think that's why it's important for us to do these kinds of things is because I think one of the things I've noticed is there's a lot of conversation about AI. There's a lot of organizations that are looking at what does this mean for me? What does this mean in terms of how do I create a competitive advantage? How do I enable our users to, to do more, to be more productive and all the sorts of promises that, that AI brings but there's also a lot of maybe fear and trepidation as well. There's people who are worried about data security and they're worried about are the bots going to take over and all these sorts of things. And there's some, <laughs> there's a lot of conversation in that area. But what we wanted to do is because Microsoft, obviously a big player in the enterprise technology space, that's not, no need to say to, to even question. And so Microsoft has come out recently with a lot of announcements around things that they're calling Microsoft Copilot. Copilot is something I think we're going to hear a lot of, and we've heard Copilot in terms of other other sort of AI initiatives and products as well. But I guess just to start our conversation off, can we talk a little bit about what do we mean by Copilot? What do we, when we're in that Microsoft Copilot sort of sense, when we're saying we're talking about these AI concepts, what's mm-hmm. a copilot? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, from my perspective, I know in the MVP community, we give Microsoft a, a pretty hard time about their naming choices and the changing of names and some of the things they come up with, especially was it capital T teams, lowercase T teams. I got a team yep. for my team to do teamwork, but I really think copilot is about one of the perfect most perfect product names that I've heard in a long time, because I think it's it describes exactly what it is. And I think it well positions their perspective and hopefully a wider industry perspective of how we see this kind of new era or this new phase of artificial intelligence in that some of the marketing material I've seen for Microsoft is they bring up on screen the idea of autopilot and co-pilot next to each other. And the thinking behind that or the explanation I've heard is that, yeah, you're still in control. They want to manage those fears of you're not automating yourself out of a job. You're controlling this and it's not just going off and making its own decisions. But a different perspective for me is that we've dealt with artificial intelligence for a long time. It's been a couple decades even of AI in our lives, but it's been in the background and we haven't really interacted with it or known specifically that we're 
dealing with it directly. And when it comes to generative AI or specifically things like co-pilots, it's interactive and you're actually engaging with it directly and, and it's assistive, it's complementing what you're doing and you know that you're dealing with it. And I think that brings some fear because like it's more in the forefront of especially consumer minds and as we get into like government, things like that, that, oh no, is this getting too amazing too fast? And <laughs> we, how do we deal with it or do we slow it down? Things like that, which I don't think is really all that possible. But I think it's important to realize like how surrounded we are by artificial intelligence already. And it's been helping us. We're just being a little bit more mindful of talking to it and dealing with it now. So that's the way that I see Copilot is that it's coming a little bit more to the forefront and being like there with you in like your content creation or your ideation things like that, rather than just being like, it's in my smartphone camera and I take a picture of somebody and it's doing amazing things to lighten it and separate me from the background, stuff like that. But I don't really realize or command it to do that. But when it comes to chatting with something, you're giving it a task and it's a little bit of a different relationship with, yeah. with computing. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and it's a little bit, anybody that's used chat GPT or they've used some of the new sort of generative tools. It's more lines of you're describing something of, Hey, can you give me an answer to this problem? Or can you generate some content about this topic or can you generate an image or uh, adjust this image and do some stuff? And it is pretty interesting in how like human like that can feel. And I could see where, yeah. Hey, I'm talking to a computer. There's not another person on the other side of this like conversation, if you will. And so I mm -hmm. could see where that makes, could make some people uncomfortable for sure. Yeah. It's a little bit different. It's like, it's almost like a different interface and something that I've struggled with personally. I've been, I saw all the news about what's been happening since like November, but I didn't finally start playing with chat GPT myself until early in January. And I found that over the past, like two decades plus, I've, my brain has almost evolved into thinking in terms of SEO and search engine optimization. And I know how to Google something really well. I know how to search for something with, with the proper syntax and pluses and putting things in quotations yeah. and talking to it conversationally feels a little bit oh, weird. Yeah. You know? weird. Yeah. And it, <laughs> yeah. I think that's definitely, I keep hearing over and over again, that's the new skill is prompt engineering. And I've been trying to make a concerted effort to get better about prompt engineering. Cause like you said today, your first time using a chat generative experience, you're going to be saying like, give me a summary of this or give, it's going to be a one word command almost. And what I found is that we're getting more effective at using this. If we give it a lot more con, you are an expert resume writer with 20 years of experience. And you were advising somebody who was recently let go from their job. What would you tell them with these specific parameters? You're giving it like a paragraph to work with and you get much better results, um, yeah. which I think is something that these large enterprises that are developing products like Microsoft with Copilot are starting to realize is that the context is what really matters. Yeah, the context is key. Well, that's, well, that's yeah. essentially what you do with the search engine, right? Google and things like that too. And you've got to remember that the back end of chat gpt is basically the knowledge of the internet you could probably find most of what it does what it comes out with if you had it's definitely what i do with yourself. my Amazon shopping list like <laughs> drilling down to the, the thing that i need but it, and it's <laughs> right? very much shortcutting yeah. the research that you could probably get to in the end anyway like, but it does and i guess the fear that i've seen and i work a lot in the defense space so there's a lot of fear there i can assure you but the mm -hmm. the fear is that when it starts to bring back opinion-based results rather than just factual, mm -hmm. the, it starts yeah. to base that opinion piece onto it as well. And it's based on popular opinion, I would assume, based on, uh, and it's got to verify who puts that information out there and how relevant with, that person with all of is, the, right? With all the inherited biases and things <laughs> that, that us flawed humans put out on the internet and then it learns from, you know, we need, yeah. we need to find ways to responsibly deal with the output, guide that yeah. and get away from 
creating something that's just an echo chamber, like a lot of times, like social media can turn into just validating <laughs> what you already think. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So that, that actually leads to a good, some good conversation elements here. And I think there are some key concepts of co-pilots, AI, and where, especially like the open AI, large language models are going with implementing this technology. Mm -hmm. So there are things like training a model, like what data is a model trained on? And then mm -hmm. there are things like making sure that the model is, there's something called groundedness, where we're talking about like mm -hmm. that model being grounded in the data, maybe of the enterprise that you're working in. And there's a lot of trepidation around large, like tr that making sure that vendors are not training their large language base models mm -hmm. on enterprise data, because then that becomes part of that corpus of information that then could leak out and cause, you know, some type of data exfiltration events or those sorts of things. Mm -hmm. And then there's another concept of like hallucination where, hey, the model thinks it's knows something, but that may mm -hmm. or may not be fact maybe because of biases or some of the information may be faulty or things like that. So can we like, let's mm -hmm. talk a little bit about some of these concepts and what that means like in a enterprise con context. Yeah. I think to talk a little bit about the grounding and that context specifically, uh, that's the two things that I see Microsoft really bringing to the field that kind of differentiates their offering, not only in the consumer space, but especially in the enterprise space with M365 Copilot is First of all, we saw this with the new Bing. I see that what Microsoft's doing is almost adding like a, an interface in front of chatbots, right? Like when I first got into ChatGPT, it's almost overwhelming to have so little facing you back, right? It's just a blank chat and you're like, how do I deal with this? What I saw like in the new Bing sidebar in Edge is that, like I said, I was putting like one sentence in. But whenever I started using like that being sidebar, they added some of those helpful prompt engineering additions in. Here's the tone that I want. So I click like professional or creative. Mm -hmm. Here's the length that I want, short, medium, or long. Here's the format I want, a blog post, a bullet list, an email. And those are things that with ChatGPT, you would put into the prompt as a paragraph. But with Microsoft, they're guiding you down like the way to properly build a prompt. And that's more in your face. That's what's been happening on the, especially the consumer side. And when we bring in 365 co-pilot and the promises of that, not only are they bringing an interface to do a little bit better job of thinking through what you want to ask, but what's cool about co-pilot is it doesn't send your prompt directly to the large language model. Instead, the co-pilot system, the kind of architecture that Jared Spataro put on screen when they made the announcement is that it goes to the co-pilot system. The original prompt then will loop into the Microsoft graph and it will add all of that additional context of, okay, John is an enterprise architect, which means this is his type of role. These are the types of projects that he works on. This is what he cares about and who he works with. The graph knows that information, right? And it's already within the compliance boundary that we've enjoyed for years with something like 365. So it can tie those connections together and say, hey, whenever John is talking about Sally, that's Sally in finance. He works with her on a regular basis. They're in these projects together. So add that to the prompt to make it better. And then these are the files that kind of inform. These are the emails that we know about based off the graph. Takes that context, takes the better prompt, sends that to the large language model, which is not a public LM in this case. It's again within the compliance boundary, but I, I need to learn more about that. I'm anxious to see the reference architecture of what it looks okay. like. But then that response goes back to the graph, gets that context back up before it sends to you. So it's almost like a abstraction layer or like a, I don't know, like an interpreter, if you will, of, hey, I'm throwing this thing at the computer and then it's going to assist. Now, John really means this in the context of his working world. Yeah. Yeah. I think so that's me, interesting. So let me ask you a background on that then, right? Is the LLM behind Copilot? Do they set something up per tenant and so for the so therefore it's related to just that mm -hmm. company? Or, or is there like a mini version of that and then there's one that goes across the whole of the commercial cloud? 
because obviously there's the benefit of the yeah. collective knowledge to be more accurate but then there's the there concern is. about where that data goes right there is and with things like chat gpt and some of that fear uncertainty and doubt that we see mm -hmm. in the industry the fud is that you see all of these news articles coming out. Amazon has blocked chat GPT on their network. Samsung lost a bunch of data because somebody was talking about an NDA project. What Microsoft has said is that all of that system, right? Your mm -hmm. applications, your graph, and the LM is within your compliance boundaries. Right. I don't specifically know if that means that, one question I've had is that, does that mean that every tenant that has a co-pilot SKU, do they get their own LM, right? Is it their own Azure instance of OpenAI Azure service or whatever it is? Or yeah, is it like a commercial version that is shared by all? The specifics I've heard <clears throat> in the public announcements are things like it does not learn from the prompts. It does not, the data that's being asked about the prompts, they're not identifiable specifically to people with in order to train the engine, which is something that chat GPT does. And you have to go in and manually turn that off. Like you can do it now. I think they might've done that in response to Italy's requests is that you can actually toggle it off now and say, don't learn from my prompts. But from what I've heard in like the FAQs and about responsible AI is that, Hey, in Copilot, it does not learn from it. It's dictated by like an enterprise level privacy but that's the difference between doing something like copilot and what was announced at build with the edge version of being chat and things like being able to log in with your aad versus what people are doing today which is their consumer microsoft account like the once you log in with aad i suspect that then your corporate agreements apply versus mm -hmm. what you're doing today you're logged in with your msa even if it's linked with your aad account you're dictated by the consumer agreements, right? Which is that we're right. going to learn from it, things like that. And that's what we have to be careful about in, as we look at this type of technology, should we jump into it as fast as possible? Should we be almost recklessly jump into it? Or should we wait a year or something? What you have to remember is that one, your competitors, right? In the space, even if you're competing just for talent and it's all internal IT, that's going to be a benefit to working for different organizations is we've enabled these features. You can assist doing your job, but in the absence of a full enterprise solution, because you're sitting on it, you're worried infosec, things like that. The problem with that is that in the meantime, everybody's using the non-standard non-compliant versions of whatever their favorite flavor is like yep. it's Bard or chat GPT or something like that. And I, my feeling overall with enterprise technology that I've seen a few cycles happen with like enterprise video and live streaming is that if organizations don't give a proper path to use emerging technology, they're going to, the, they're going to invite shadow IT into their environment. You know? And I feel like it's going to be harder to, I would rather spend my time getting things Working through it, all right? of the privacy mm -hmm. concerns and all the infosec properly than to play whack-a-mole with whatever three chatbots got launched last week. Because you block Absolutely. chat GPT and it's like a Hydra. Yep. A bunch of new ones emerge. Well, <laughs> and those are the kind of conversations I have with my more defense-focused clients where mm -hmm. the initial reaction is no. And really maybe the answer is you separate out like a small LM where it actually potentially is learning from you within your boundary, but then it can mm -hmm. bring in information from a larger LM to feed that answer, but then provide you yeah. information about what is corporate knowledge versus public knowledge. And I think that's or, part you know, of what like whole... so cut it all out, cut it down as to, so you can determine the reliability of it. Right. I think that's yeah. what, what like Microsoft is going with, for example, they released being searched in the enterprise and then now they're looking at copilot in as a element of being the mm -hmm. in, embedded in the browser and john's hit on it right the commercial versus the enterprise versions of those technologies the the inner the commercial version has no access to your enterprise content but the enterprise version now has the ability to say okay i've got access to all the context and the content of the enterprise, but also all the content 
in context of the internet and the, the data mm -hmm. that's there as well. And now I can pull all that stuff together in some sort of mashup to give you better answers. And I think that's the promise yeah. of it. But mm -hmm. it's also the fear of it as well is because, and I think Microsoft is walking this fine line of, this is really cool technology. It can do amazing things, that, but we understand we have to walk all these compliance regulations of all these different countries and all these different elements of enterprise organizations. And no, no CISO in their right mind is going to say, yes, allow all of my data to be to train the models, right? So they're going to have to show that control and show that it's enterprise ready technology in order for this to be adopted. Yeah, well, it'll be yeah. interesting to see what controls will be made available in this world. Because like you said, if you're using consumer, if you're using chat GPT, right, that's about the least connected option. It's trained on data as of like September 2021. That's where it ends. If you go to Bing, their big selling point is that it's connected to the internet. You can ask it who won the Super Bowl and it knows because it's fresh data. And then when you go to something like Copilot, now you've got the entirety of the internet the live internet based off of like Bing searches, and then also all everything in your graph within your compliance manager, you put all that together, that's the richest experience. But I wonder if some, it would be more palatable for some organizations to maybe say, okay, maybe I want an LM that is trained on my data specifically, and I want to give it the repositories. Maybe I want to manually give it specific repositories. Mm -hmm. And maybe some of those organizations would even want to turn off the internet searching capabilities. I don't want you to run to the end of my environment and then try to search the internet because that feels like you're going outside of my world. Yeah. So I wonder if Microsoft's going to bring any controls about like, all right, I want to separate my LLM from these other sources so that I can almost put like on a visual diagram where its connection points are yeah. so yeah. they know that it's got a boundary around it. And then some organizations will say, no, I want the full thing. I don't even want the, just the web. I want to really just dive into these plugins and I want to empower citizen developers and things to, to build on top of this with like power platform and other third party integrations so that I get even more of my data so that people don't have to context switch as much. You know, it'll be a sliding scale for most organizations. And you saying that then it just, so that brings up the idea then, right? Okay. You have your own private LM, but then maybe mm -hmm. you want to partner with your fellow partners in industry with their private LM and it then becomes mm -hmm. a collective thing as well. So you can almost see almost like with Azure B2B and the XTAP program where you can handshake your tenants to be able to come into each other. You can always see the same thing mm -hmm. happening with LLMs as well between companies so that you can agree to have joint knowledge and things like that as well. Boy. Yeah, Sorry, I'm just that's <laughs> real scary. All right, so I want to get yeah. into talking about <laughs> some of the recent announcements that Microsoft has brought out and maybe getting a little bit into yeah. some more of the specifics about technology, these technologies. A couple of weeks back, Microsoft had their build conference, which is a very developer centric conference and quite a, a lot of the stuff is over my head. It's all very much techie geeky, <laughs> I mean, way down in the weeds kind of nerd stuff, but Hey, we love our nerds around here. So not, no issues with that <laughs> whatsoever, but they did use this conference as a springboard to announce quite a few of the initiatives around Copilot, along with other announcements that they had previously made. And so there's a few of these things that I'd really love to talk about. So I'll just hit sure. on a couple of them. And we've already sprinkled in a few of these little nuggets, but one of the things that they talked about quite extensively is like, what does it mean for developers in terms of AI? There's Azure OpenAI features. There are new frameworks coming out. There are new design surfaces coming out for AI and prompt engineering and all these sorts of things. But one of the big hot button topics is AI plugins. And what does that mean? Like like your experience with ChatGPT, like mine was very similar. The first time I used it, I think the first time I used it, I got 10 prompts in the back that said, yeah, I'm an op I'm a large language model. I don't know what you're talking about. You yeah. know, try again, basically. But with this plugin model, now the these prompts that we generate can now lead to action. And so it's, hey, mm -hmm. 
now they've announced plugins more commercially around things like OpenTable and Expedia and Instacart mm-hmm. and Kayak and some of this. So I can envision a world where you're like, hey, plan my Hawaiian vacation, make me a reservation at the best restaurant and book a couple of tours for me. And then you can mm-hmm. actually like have the AI assist you in doing these things. So so let's talk about AI plugins for a little mm-hmm. bit and what that means, both yeah. from, I guess, a commercial context and an enterprise context. It's a little bit, it was a little bit consumery that I saw in that announcement. I was watching recaps and things from the keynote and it, it started out consumery. It was interesting. Hey, I found this recipe. I opened up the Bing side sidebar in Edge and I said, hey, give me a shopping list about this. And not only did it pull from the recipe what you're going to need, and then I've seen it like where it'll organize by the type of aisles that are in the grocery store. And then you could take that text and then go to the grocery store. But what's cool is with the plugin they announced with Instacart, it took that data and like you said, it actioned on it. So not only did it pull out the shopping list, but then it invoked Instacart to add those things to the shopping list and process the order. And then it didn't order it and spend your money. You had to verify and say, yes, buy that. But that's pretty amazing to take it and do something with it. And in some of the more consumery type of plugins they mentioned, I see a little bit of business context, mostly for people who are like entertaining clients or they're like client facing and they travel a lot, right? So I could foresee maybe internal plugins for maybe not Expedia and Kayak, but something like your internal booking solutions and stuff like that. Concur, your you MX could say, travel, yeah, your whatever, hey, yeah. In this email thread, we're talking about coming up to Houston and having like a client dinner or something that then it could invoke that booking service. Hey, everybody in this thread, they're in four different places. Let's book them travel. Let's get them all hotels and let's find a, a restaurant to book. And we can go ahead and expense it or Uber has a consumer version, but then there's like a corporate version of Mm -hmm. Uber. So as you're planning client meetings or something, it could help you maybe get to that place and schedule an Uber. I think as we get into the more enterprise space, more just information workers like us, I think it'll be more of an open platform or an API capability that opens up opportunities for custom development. So I see things like probably plugins with you know, your service desk type of solutions or CMDB for platform and product portfolio management, where maybe I'm doing market research as an enterprise architect. If it was, if my chatbot or my co-pilot was aware of all of the products in our portfolio management system, then that could help me with, okay, here's those other options in this platform or this pillar of technology to help you with your market research and what's emerging. And oh, by the yeah. way, here's the Gartner chart for that particular space. I could see plugins being really helpful there. And I think what the exciting part of that announcement, at least from my perspective, is that it seems like Microsoft and OpenAI are starting to build like a standard, if you will, of plugin development. And it's hopeful for me that the things that are developed for ChatGPT will work over in Edge, will work in Bing, the things that are built in Bing work in chat GPT. So I imagine the likes of maybe Google or Anthropic might develop their own standards or they might create an open standard with open AI, who knows, but hopefully there it's not reinventing the wheel for every platform and we can get more connections faster because there's like a common way to do a platform. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. So plugins, plugins for the win, plugins for productivity, as I, I yeah. think what we're looking at. I haven't used one yet. Yeah, I, I haven't I'm either. I'm right on the edge. I'm doing free chat GPT, but I'm right on the edge of paying for it just because they announced Bing search within it. So all of the internet connectedness is now in chat GPT uh, if you pay 20 bucks a month. And I'm right. so close to doing it. <laughs> So just whip out the corporate card. You, you'll be fine. Sure. It's research, right? <laughs> I'm already paying for mid journey. I don't know how many AI things <laughs> I want to pay for. Okay. So another of the big announcements was in the data space, specifically mm-hmm. micro, Microsoft announced a ton of new stuff. They announced something called Microsoft Fabric, 
which is really intended to be a highly integrated, more simplified experience for data and analytics and bringing your whole like data lake together. They announced a lot of stuff there where it's bringing together Power BI, Azure Data Factory, Azure Synapse, all these sort of data things into one sort of cohesive platform. But they also announced Copilot for Power BI. And I got to say, for me, that was probably one of the cooler demos that I've seen in the context Mm -hmm. of how you're leveraging AI to actually truly get value. And the demo was something along the lines of everybody's got a spreadsheet, right? So you start with a spreadsheet that's tracking a bunch of data. It's got a bunch of context in there. And you Mm -hmm. give that to the data factory. You say, go build essentially like ingest this, build a dashboard, Mm -hmm. and then start to, hey, I want to see our finances in this context. What does that look like for the UK? What does that look like for South America? And there's all these sorts of interesting things. And essentially, like the person told the AI, build me a dashboard that does this. And then it went through a bunch of even design standards. It pulled in like the the corporate look and feel. And like Mm -hmm. at the end of the day, you've got a dashboard that you can ship off to an executive. Something that may have taken probably hours or if not days in the past to do something like that. So this sort of co-pilot in the data space and the investments that Microsoft is making in like making that data more accessible, I think is a very big deal. Yeah, I think it was really cool to see from somebody like me who is not at all a data analyst, right? I probably the place where I'm the weakest in technology is data analytics. I see that maybe enabling more people like me where it's like, I I know what I want to get out of some data and I know that I want to make some data-driven decisions, but I don't know how to get it and I don't know how to form it, format it and mm-hmm. structure it in a way that will help me make a decision. What I see with that Power BI, being able to create a dashboard and it knows what, again, because of that grounding, it knows the context of what data you're asking for and where it's at and if you have access to it or not and all of that. And then based off of what things it's going to surface up, it knows the best way to visualize that and it builds like a a high value type of dashboard instead of what I would do where it would just be like all pie charts or something like that. (laughs) I don't know what I don't know. I would hope that it, it makes it, It makes the idea of data analytics a little bit more creative for somebody like me who doesn't know what they don't know. We've been able to, in the past, ask questions of our data, but it's like that that was amazing after the report is already made, right? You've already got the Power BI dashboard, and then now there's ask a question of your data. We've had that for a couple of years, but what about getting to that? And everybody's plate is overly full And it's one of those, at least for me, that would be the drudgery of work, trying to build a dashboard when I know that I'm not good at it. If I could get to that place where I could ask questions about my data faster, that's the real value I see. Yeah. And when it comes to fabric, that was probably where my like brain spun around the most because I don't really understand what they're talking about quite so much. But what it (laughs) seems the promise is when they get to that idea of the new product being one lake, I think is what they called it. Yeah, It seems like the benefit there would be to bring a lot of maybe overlapping efforts, especially in a large organization where everybody has their own reasons for trying to get at the same data. And so they're reinventing the wheel to use that term again. And everybody's doing their own connection to a data lake or building their own data leak. Maybe you're duplicating data you don't need to. So if you can simplify that and have no, this is the repository for the tenant everybody just connect to it through, I think, what was that called? Direct lake connection or something like that. Rather than you're, I'm going to pull my own cache of the data and then I'm going to mess with it and not help anybody else out. Hopefully it will help organizations get to a place where they can help each other a little bit and raise the entire digital literacy of the organization rather than this group is great at data because they were lucky enough to hire a bunch of business analysts where this other group is struggling. Yeah, absolutely. And I, th- I think the promise of it, or the hope at least for me, is that 
it's just like you said, like I see that today even in a lot of organizations mm -hmm. where it's okay, we want to have data, we want to have data-driven decisions. And then mm -hmm. so you have this team, the marketing team is pulling data in a certain way, the, the sales team's got a different way. And, and sometimes these are, it's the same data, it's overlapping, it's all. So if we can bring that stuff together. But the thing I think that's most, for me, that was just like, aha, because I've seen, like you said, I've seen in Power BI, okay, let me get data insights. For me, most of the time that says, yeah, I can't do anything. It's just, ah, but yeah, and the I, metadata and I, not mapped and, right and or something I, like that. So whatever reason, <laughs> yeah. and I've seen other tools and I'm blanking on the name of them. So I've, but I've seen other tools that you can give it natural language and describe what you want, but you really have to know the data model like pretty well in order to make the, mm -hmm. some of those tools useful. Yeah. And, and But what I saw with this was like, I'm just like, hey, give me a chart on the sales performance of the UK team for the last quarter or fourth quarter or something like that. And I can do it. I don't have to know anything about the data model. I don't have to know anything about, I just give it my quote unquote business requirement and it's boom, there it is. That is to me, that's yeah. like the next level, right? It's like we were saying earlier with talking to a computer in SEO language versus natural language. Yeah. You don't have to yeah. know the ETLs and the SQLs and the whatever. You just like my data, it's sales data. It's, you know, it's mm -hmm. adoption data. It's whatever. Yeah. Anyway. So I thought it was cool. That's of course, assuming it's all real, right? Like I saw just as many demos that sort of flopped and fell on their face during the conference as well. Some of them were <laughs> super cool. Some of them sure. were, were still working some of this out. Yeah. <laughs> It's nice to have that transparency though, especially like a developer's conference level of a, hey, that like, this is all being made. We're all developers yep. here. Yeah, totally. It's, it adds it to your street cred if you have a demo fail. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So yeah. I guess moving on a couple of other ones that I, and then I think we'll, we may not get to all of these. So I'm actually, sure. we've talked a little bit about the edge browser, so I'm going to skip over. I, I think we've talked enough about that, and I think we, we yeah. can all see it's really cool. I want to talk a little bit about, you, you hit on it earlier, like our citizen devs and what's going on in the Power Platform, because, uh, and obviously Power BI is part of Power Platforms, but there's equally cool stuff going on, I think, in things like Power Pages, Power Apps, and I saw some really cool stuff with Power virtual agents, which is like the chat bot version of power and taking some of the, the really where, I don't know if any, any of you guys have designed a power virtual agent, but a lot of that was like a lot of branching logic. Hey, if they say this, then you go here. If they say that, then go here. And this basically, you just pointed at a repository, like you said earlier, you just, Hey, I want to build a HR power virtual agent. I pointed at my policies and procedures for HR. That could be in a mm -hmm. SharePoint library. It could be in Azure somewhere, whatever storage it is. You just point it at it and let it go to town. It's, it's like, now I can say, what are the HR policies for maternity leave in Sweden? And it'll give you like a very succinct, awesome answer. So I like literally, I think my jaw was like, I was like, I had to do one of uh, these. That has to be one of the quickest routes to getting value out of this stuff. Like with the mm -hmm. virtual agents and things like that, you point it to a repository, that whole HR thing. That's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> there's a lot of time to train older AI models before they were large language models. I haven't built any power virtual agents myself. The closest thing I got to something along that flavor was I built a, a Microsoft Flow or now Power Automate process around Yammer, where mm -hmm. I was using a Q&A maker back in the day to, to do like a repository. And in my old organization, we had two places where we did this. One was for a health conference that we used to run that was like questions about like, how do I get my flu shot? What's the bus schedule? What's lunch and where is it? And then my own environment, I was a little bit selfish, was I ran Microsoft 365 for about 30,000 people. And that was our community for adoption and asking questions about the M365 products. And so what we did was we built an initial FAQ as a, a knowledge base. And then we put the Q&A maker bot in front of it and then said, okay, 
we're going to build a flow that says whenever anybody asks a question in this Yammer community, it's going to go and it's going to check that bot is going to check the knowledge base to see if there's an answer for it. If it's like more than 80% confident, it will answer with that answer as a Yammer post. If it's less than 80% confident, then it will email the knowledge experts, right? The SMEs. And it will email with an approval flow that says, hey, here's the question. I This might be the answer. What do you think? And if you say mm-hmm. yes, then it answers it and it trains the model. But if you said no, you would type what response it was and it made a, Q, a new Q&A pair. What was frustrating about that process, it was great. And it saved a lot off of my own plate because I was the adoption guy and the architect and the product owner. I was multiple hats. But what was time consuming was coming up with that initial FAQ and then training it, going through these, in Q&A Maker, you would go through these training scenarios where you would give it squirrely questions and see how it responds. And you would add stuff through just almost trial and error. And basically you had to anticipate what the person was going to ask. And it seems like where we've branched or where we've shifted with LLMs is that we don't have to quite put ourselves in the author's shoes and anticipate all the weird branches they might take. We, it it figures that out a little bit better for you because again, that context of being able to ground itself and say, wow, this is what this person's really talking about. We're back in the olden days of a few weeks ago, back in the, (laughs) back in those days, it was all keywords. And are they going to say the right keywords? I better tag this knowledge, this question with every possible hashtag so that I know that it gets flagged. I don't have to worry about that quite as much now. So I think that's that's pretty exciting. It is. Uh, I know we're getting close to the end of our time. I think there's, I think there's about a hundred topics that we haven't even hit on. Like we, we talked a lot about the developers, the data, the, a lot of, we, we skated some of the generative AI stuff. I've seen some really cool things out of Microsoft designer. I think there's a ton of new cool stuff coming, even in outlook. Outlook is going to be cool. It'll be able to craft your emails for you and your word documents mm-hmm. and your PowerPoint. Get so, through hundreds you know, of emails and find what's important. Yeah. Summarize mm-hmm. your team meetings, create your to-do tab and, and all these sorts yeah. of things. I think there's just a wealth of new features coming, but I guess if to put you on the spot a little bit, John, if sure. you know any, I guess the takeaways that you're from where you're sitting as a Microsoft MVP and working in a large organization, just a, maybe a little bit of your perspective on how you feel like, where you feel like this is going in terms of the enterprise, what organizations should be thinking about as they're looking mm-hmm. at these technologies, what's the sage advice that that you would give to our listeners? Oh, boy. <laughs> sure. <laughs> I think what stands out to me over the past, it's been six, seven months now of all these announcements. I think what stands out to me as the top two benefits overall to abstract and get high level is one, I think I think this will help a lot, this new era of AI with jumpstarting work by helping us be more creative and generate better drafts. I saw a graphic that was, hey, your typical quality level of a deliverable, right? We're all about making deliverables, right? How do I'm moving information around and I'm doing research, but at the end of the day, I need to get something out of all of my effort. And without AI, you start up and you're staring at that blank page and you don't really know where to start. And through your iterations of whether it's a slide deck or a Word document, you can get to a certain level of quality and that's through iterating through it and making it a little bit better over time until your deadline basically runs out. I think with the generative side of things, you'll start with a better draft and it will jumpstart you to that that first level or that next level of iterations, which I think means in the same amount of time, you'll end up with a better quality deliverable at the end than what you would have had without it. So I think it's going to augment people by jumpstarting creativity. And then the next big benefit that I see that I haven't seen talked about a lot is what this is gonna do for accessibility and creating a more inclusive enterprise for everybody to participate. 
the classic examples to think in in terms of the old and AI, deep learning and the ability to do like live captions and translation. Those are all very helpful and they work to amplify the abilities of people who like maybe have hearing difficulties or vision, things like that. But there hasn't been a lot until what I've seen recently in the space of neurodiversity, right? Things like autism spectrum disorder, things like ADHD, where I've seen it framed like your team's meeting recap. And it's framed a little bit of, oh, you're late to the meeting, so you can get a recap while the meeting's live and catch up on what you missed. That's helpful for everybody. But somebody who, I know this happens to me a lot, like I have trouble focusing in meetings a lot of times and my mind wanders. I I go over to email, heaven forbid, I multitask. <laughs> Being able to like get a catch up in there whenever you catch yourself and you bring yourself back in, I think that will be really helpful to make everybody be included in the conversation and not be like, oh, I'm sorry, what was that? Because they they drifted. Or for people who like maybe have trouble reading each other in meetings, especially like if we're not on camera or they have trouble with reading like body language and stuff like that, being able to ask in a private space, your co-pilot, hey, what does this executive think about? Is every Are people leaning one way or the other? Being able to ask that privately, I think will empower more people to be able to speak up because they'll have that little bit of extra help that kind of gets them past maybe what some of their disabilities are. So I think this is really exciting for an accessibility inclusive aspect as well to get even beyond kind of the traditional accessibility that we've had. Really cool tool. Awesome. I agree with that. Yeah. I love it. He wanders on his, his concentration all the time and no Patrick knows about that. <laughs> that would be great. <laughs> yeah, yeah. May or may not have played Giles's Game Boy game in meetings with Patrick and lost track of what he was talking about. <laughs> That's available to purchase, by the way, folks, if you're interested. Yeah. And we can talk about it another time. Yes. <laughs> As you can see, if you're watching on YouTube, I am a big retro gamer. And whenever I found out by listening to the podcast that Giles had developed a game, I jumped on it right away. <laughs> And that's yeah, a, another distraction. So, so John actually pinged me and said, Hey man, I listened to the podcast. Like I really enjoyed it. And I was like, what you listen to this? Somebody listens to our podcast. Like we've really made it in the world. So <laughs> we were very happy to hear that. And so of course we're going to have all of our listeners actually participate in the podcast. And so that's the goal here. That's right. Uh, that's right. <laughs> so if you contact us, you're likely to be a visitor and a guest. Absolutely. Please do. I, I think, like I said, I think our time is drawing to a near. John, we did warn you. We put our, all of our guests through this, but we're going to need some sort of a fun fact or anecdote to take us to the conclusion or, of our podcast here. Sure. I guess maybe a fun fact about me or just something that a lot of people don't know is, you know, they see me talk about technology all the time and I'm all very technical and wanting to like geek out and try things and try to break stuff digitally, but outside of work, a passion that I have is for woodworking and creating things with my hands. Over the past seven years now, I think, I've run a wood shop out of my house with my wife. She, I say she runs it with my help, 95% uh, her and a little bit me. I basically <laughs> cut the wood down to size and then she takes it and makes it beautiful. But that's something that, yeah, I don't talk about a whole lot at work or in the professional space is the something for me that I like to do to disconnect is I work my brain so much during the day. It's nice to work my hands a little bit and geek out making physical things. So it's fun. Yeah. That's very cool. Me and I love it. have an old colleague that did the same thing, right? Absolutely. Oh, really? Yes, we did. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> he was Hi, very Paul. much into turning, <laughs> turning wood into the actual like turning and yeah. Yeah. Wood oh, yeah, wood yeah making pens and, and, and uh, stuff like that. My dad has a lathe. My wife wants to get one so she can make like bowls and yeah, stuff like perfect. that. But exactly. yeah, our big things yeah. is we have a laser cutter. We have an 800 pound laser cutter nice. in our basement and a large CNC machine. So there's still a little bit of technology in it. It's digital fabrication, but yes. um, I like to geek out watching all of my little robot soldiers making things in the basement. <laughs> Fantastic. <laughs> So we're going to go yep. from AI-powered co-pilots in the workplace to robot soldiers in the wood shop. 
and yeah take your so, ai and put sharp knives on it in exactly the nothing will go wrong per perfect what could possibly <laughs> go wrong i love right. it at least not well, to the creator <laughs> it's just everyone else needs to watch out yeah. <laughs> this has been i think it's been a great conversation i really appreciate it john for yeah, coming on and sharing your insights yeah, uh, i look forward to all i i for one welcome our robot overlords and look forward to my co-pilot helping me throughout the day so this has been enterprise influencers giles it's your job to take us out of here it is but we've missed one thing How what did we miss have you got anything else? That, how do they contact you, John? Have you got anything? Oh, else? I'm sorry. Oh, oh man. Yeah, sure. John's <laughs> no got to pimp, yeah. pimp your stuff, yeah, John. Yeah, pimp your ways, Oh, man. sure. I guess. <laughs> so as, as Patrick mentioned, I'm a, I'm a three-time Microsoft MVP. And one of the ways that, that I like to contribute to the community in any way that I can is through my YouTube channel. You can find me on YouTube. You can search for just my name, John Moore and Microsoft. Or my handle, I think, is Collabmore. C-O-L-A-B-M-O-O-R-E, a little play on words. You can find me there, connect with me on LinkedIn. Again, look for John Moore, E-Y, and you'll probably find me, or through Twitter. I don't use Twitter quite as much anymore due to squirrely things Elon's doing, but you can follow <laughs> me on Twitter, hang out with me on Twitter, LinkedIn, YouTube. We'll provide some helpful links in our postings sure. as well. No one will have any problems locating John and Sorry, I think I told you it's been too long since we did this. Yeah, so we're, a bit, we're a bit rusty. <laughs> we're a little bit rusty. <laughs> and I'll show in my outro here as well. Then. All right. So everybody, thank you for listening. I hope this has been good. And I hope you start to investigate on the co-pilot stuff yourself, just like I am as well. You can find us at the usual podcast spots and YouTube and Apple and Google or whatever you're into. And uh, this has been Enterprise Influences. Patrick, John, thank you very much. We're signing out. Thank you, Thank everybody. You. Bye, Bye, everyone. Bye.